0: to Knight's History Cast, where we have conversations about history. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Central Florida's History Department. I am Portia Dossi, a public history graduate student, and I will be your host for this episode of Knight's History Cast. The Department of History's Drew Fulcher recently sat down with Dr. Hong Zhang, Associate Professor of History at the University of Central Florida and speaker at the 2017 Research Colloquium at the University of Central Florida. In the interview, Dr. Zhang talks with Drew Folcher about her research, the Peiyang Pictorial News, and a look into a flourishing new urban culture in Tianjin, 1926 to 1937, which explores urban culture in Tianjin in the 1920s and 1930s as presented and represented through the Peiyang Pictorial News, the longest-running and most popular pictorial in North China. Let's listen to their conversation.
1: Can you explain your research and how this contributes to historiography?
2: Yes, sure. Uh, this particular research of mine explores the urban culture in Tianjin, presented and represented mainly through the Beiyang Pictorial News. It focuses especially on Pictorial's coverage of young women, which in a way uh, illustrates the actual and imagined modernity in Tianjin. Scholars have written a lot on the city of Shanghai of the same period, that's in the 1920s and 1930s, but uh, Tianjin has not received much scholarly attention, so um, I believe that uh, this research of mine will fill an important gap.
1: What makes Tianjin different from other um, larger Chinese
2: cities? Tianjin became a treaty port in 1860 following uh, China's defeat in the Second Opium War. Um, As a result, a number of foreign powers established concessions in Tianjin. So there was, so from 1860s on, there was a very large foreign presence in Tianjin on the one hand. On the other hand, Tianjin is also very close to Beijing. So in the 19th century, it's known as the gate to Tianjin. So in order for foreign powers to reach Beijing, they would have to enter Tianjin first and to get to Beijing from Tianjin. So Tianjin became a very important city uh, for Qing China. Um, And also in the 1860s, the Chinese government started the self-strengthening movement, that is to adopt uh, foreign technology to strengthen China. Because of Tianjin's importance, a number of uh, pro-reform Qing officials uh, were appointed as governor generals of Tianjin. So they carried out a large number of industrial and military uh, modernization projects uh, in Tianjin. So in that sense, you know, Tianjin saw the combined efforts uh, of for foreign entrepreneurs and the Qing officials, and uh, these efforts turned Tianjin into a city that was keen um, implementing modernization projects how
1: important is understanding the contemporary works about Tianjin under Mao to developing an understanding for how revisionists look at um, the same region?
2: Yes, I mean, uh, during the Maoist period, that is basically from 1949 to 1976, the official discourse uh, on Republican period of China tended to be very gloomy, right? They painted a very dark picture of Republican China the focus, the official discourse. The focus of the official discourse was very much on war, political turmoil, poverty. You know, people struggle to make a living. Um, so it was a very dark portrayal uh, of urban China of the Republican period. And uh, there's very little discussion on the cultural and commercial uh, development of the period.
1: So why pick? Um the, this particular publication and how is it different from other magazines or newspapers that were being printed?
2: Well, uh, pictorials became a very uh, important part of print media uh, in the early 20th uh, century China. Um, the Beiyang Pictorial News lasted, it was founded in uh, 1926 and lasted until 1937. That's when the uh, Sino Japanese War. Broke out, so the publication stopped its uh, uh, um, publication. <laughs> um, it was uh, so it lasted for more than ten years and published more than fifteen hundred issues. Um, it was the longest running and most influential pictorial uh, in North China uh, during the Republican period. It uh, was published in Tianjin, but its influence went beyond. Uh, Tianjin because you know, sub- subscribers included not only people from Tianjin but also people from n- nearby towns and cities and also from Beijing. Yeah.
1: Can you explain the New Culture Movement and how that shaped the, the articles, poems, and art published by the magazine?
2: Sure. Um, the New Culture Movement um, was launched by young urban intellectuals in the early 20th century. It's uh, largely condemned Confucian values such as the subordination of women to men, inequality you know, between men and women, um, the idea of female chastity, and also the notion of, or the practice of confining women to uh, the households. You know, They're not supposed to be seen uh, publicly and they were not supposed to play any kind of public roles. So all those ideas were condemned by um uh, young urban intellectuals uh during the new cultural movement. Uh instead they embraced, you know, Western values, uh, Western notion of modernity. So they promoted what they consider to be progressive ideas from the West.
1: Uh, how do Chinese intellectuals view modernity in the West during this time?
2: hmm The well they believe that uh, um all those, you know, pro- Western enterprises, projects, represent programs, uh, pro- progress, and were something for, you know, Chinese to be, uh, to be emulated. Um, if you look at the young, uh, pictorial coverage of young women, they reflected also the, you know, these concerns about uh, uh, the old values or, or condemnation of old values, and embracement uh, of the this changing. Uh, mentality. The cover page of every issue of Uh Beiyang Pictorial would feature uh, a female celebrity, uh, considered uh, to be representative of the new type of women uh, known as uh, modern girls, or in Chinese, uh, modern modern女郎. So they would appear in fashionable clothing. Um, they would also appear with bob hair and. Uh, so they were kind of like uh, uh, American flappers of the 1920s. So in urban China, uh, in uh, at large in in Tianjin in particular, you would see you know on the street the appearance of uh, modern girls appearing in, in fashionable clothing, and very often they would uh, appear in qipao, That's a particular uh, popular, particularly popular Chinese dress of the Republican period. And also, it became popular for young women to engage in sports uh, because of the idea that for a country to be strong, to be modern, its women had to be fit, uh, had to be physically fit, uh, had to be uh, strong. If you flip through the pages of a young uh, pictorial, you'll see uh, lots of pictures featuring young women, especially young college women, engaging in sports activities. And in the meantime. You know, female nude images from the West also became very popular, and Beiyang Hua Bao or Beiyang Pictorial uh, issued numerous you know images, uh, pictures of Western female nudes. The idea at the time was that uh, you know these female nude images uh, represented Western. Modernity uh, represented Western civilization and they were a very important part of Western art. So in order for um, urban China or for Tianjin or for Beiyang pictorial to appear modern and uh, to appear uh, to be progressive, you know, the, the editors of the Beiyang pictorial, you know, featured numerous, I think altogether over 500 photos or images of Western, mainly Western, female nudes, because they, you know, they were perceived to represent Western modernity. Um,
1: so, was modernity accepted by most of the population?
2: This idea, this concept, was embraced mainly by um, young intellectuals, men and women, and mainly college students. Obviously, poor people. Right, uh, rural people, they they had little exposure to. They were largely illiterate, and they were not exposed to these new concepts of modernity, and, and they couldn't care less about it because their main, you know, concern was how to uh, make a living, right? How to survive. So it was largely embraced by urban young uh, intellectuals.
1: And uh, how is the transformation of the women during this time indicative of uh, broader cultural or intellectual trends in China at the time?
2: So culturally and socially, urban China was very pro-Western in the 1920s and 1930s. Although politically, China was very anti-imperialistic, right? Because China was going through, you know, one political crisis after another. And then there, ever since the Opium War, of uh, the 1840s, you know, China has been subject to um, infringement, you know, encroachment by uh, foreign powers. So politically, China was very anti-imperialistic. So in this context of national crisis, um, the appearance and acceptance of modern girls um, were very much intertwined with nationalism Uh, So when you, when young intellectuals, when they talk about the emancipation of women, they were not just thinking about improving the status of women. They were not thinking solely in terms, uh, I mean, they were not talking about improvement of status for women for the sake of women. They were uh, also thinking about, uh, you know, uh, they were thinking about looking at this in the larger context of uh, nationalism, so, again, the liberation of women was not just for the sake of improving the status of women, but it was also connected to the larger political and social goals of strengthening and modernizing China. So, you know, these larger political and social goals were very much intertwined with this idea of the liberation of women. Um, so these notions were embraced by... Uh, intellectuals and the politicians alike.
1: How is this challenging, that, that mm. Maoist depiction, like after mm-hmm. I guess, everything that we've talked about?
2: During the Maoist era, you know, you had this dark right, depiction, depiction of, right, of, that of and... Republican uh, urban China. But uh, in post-Mao period, um, the political atmosphere has yeah. been much more relaxed and people begin to revisit Republican urban China.
1: So how does this research connect to both? I guess we, we see the historiographic mm-hmm. um, contribution of like the Tangine era, mm-hmm. but um, how does it also interject with that contemporary Maoist depiction of mm-hmm. um, urban Chinese mm-hmm. uh, history?
2: In post-Mao era, the political atmosphere uh, has been much more relaxed. Um, in the meantime, people you know, show a renewed interest in the Republican era, um, as a result, in the books, films, and TV dramas on the period, on the Republican period, mushroomed, um, which has led to a phenomenon known as Republican favor. So and all this new literature you know, shows a bygone era that was very intriguing and diverse and colorful. And uh, it was not just a drag dichotomy of good versus evil and the poor versus uh, the rich. The exploited versus the exploiter. Um, my research, my research does not suggest that poverty and political turmoil uh, did not exist at the time. They did exist, right? There was a massive poverty, especially in rural China at the time. But uh, it's just that the poverty and the war and political chaos did not represent the the full picture. So I think that post Mao. Uh, revisionist literature on Republican urban China uh, tends to present a more complete picture of the era.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your time coming in and speaking with us.
2: Oh,
0: thank you. For Night's History Cast, I'm Portia Dossi. Please subscribe to this podcast to hear future interviews and conversations.